I was born and raised in Flint, mm -hmm. born and raised in the northeast corner of the city of Flint. Um, it's cold for a lot of things. It's cold for being black. It's cold for being poor. It's cold for seeing the violence of Flint streets outside your bedroom window and out on the six o'clock news. Um, it's the place where you know those perpetrators of crimes. You know those folks that are victims of violent crimes. You understand that intimately on both sides of the coin. Growing up in that environment, I have to give huge shout outs to um, Tanya Gallimore, Tanya, formerly Tanya Oliver, my mom single mom she put blinders on me and allowed me to dream in ways that other folks from my community just couldn't right they had to live in the realities of what was happening around them and my mom protected me from that quite a bit isaiah oliver is president and ceo of the community foundation of greater flint he's on the board of trustees of central michigan university a husband and father of four and on this episode brought to you by mcdonald's as we continue our celebration of black history month we talked to isaiah about the art of building community and what you can do to help bring your own community together. I hope you enjoyed this second episode as we celebrate Black History Month with help from McDonald's. First, Isaiah, thank you for the time. I know you've got- Are a, we on now? Yeah, we're always oh, rolling, man. Got it. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, I wanna thank you for the time because I know you've got an incredible schedule, so I, I appreciate you taking a couple minutes to kind of sit with us. Oh, no problem. Excited so to be here. We are in your office in the Community Foundation in the glorious city of Flint. I. A little background because I know you don't know me. Uh, my work with MLive brings me here once or twice a month and has been for the last five years. So I love this city and I love what it's turning into and I love the work that you guys have been doing. It, it's incredible. And we will talk about that. But before we do that, I, I sort of want to talk about how you got here, right? Like what was, the, what was the driving factor that leads you to where you are today? Because you are an inspiring leader, somebody people look up to. You're a change maker, not only in the city of Flint, but the state of Michigan recognizes the movements that you're starting. And, and I wanna go back maybe to your childhood and, and into college and like, did you, when did you see, I'm gonna do all of this amazing stuff? Like what, what, was, that, what was that micro process like? Ah, I don't know that I ever saw that I was going to do a whole bunch of amazing stuff. I, I would say, one, let me go back and say sure. welcome to Flint. Thank you. So excited to have you here in, in what I would describe as the most amazing office in Flint because the work at the Community Foundation is just great. We wake up every day and go to sleep every night thinking about how to make our community better. Then we come to work with 440 volunteers and some resources at our hands to actually see that happen. So it's exciting work every day. And so we're happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here and real quickly before you answer the question, if people have not been here, what I thought was really stunning is as you walk down the hall, you guys have done this amazing curation of sort of seeing the change that's happened in Flint on the wall. So like, as you're coming into your office, you're like, Oh, well, that's really cool. And you did that amazing thing. So, Kudos, it, it's a really great office. Thank, so thank you. you for having yeah, us. And we have no idea what the future looks like, so we're excited <laughs> about what the end of that journey is gonna be. Right, you'll need um, a bigger office, I hope. Uh, you know what, a bigger office wouldn't hurt, but right now our work is so focused on making this community a better place and improving quality of life for the folks in this community that we can't think about what a bigger office looks like. Sure. It's like, how do we get dollars out to make yes. our nonprofit community stronger? Absolutely. Uh, but I would say my story to this place, while I didn't envision it, was a bit of luck. Um, I always say that I'm the lucky guy who gets to sit in that seat and gets to work with amazing people. And for me, luck is defined by when preparation meets opportunity. Sure. You can control how much you prepare. You can control what schools you go to, to an extent. You can control what type of education you have, what types of people you're around. But you can't control opportunities. Opportunities usually happen when, uh, when people either acknowledge the work that you're doing or they see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And the intersection of preparation and opportunity 
is where the magic happens. And I'm living in this, I would say, blessed world where I'm seeing a lot of magic happen because I was preparing and an opportunity intersected with that preparation and it's just worked. And so what was that preparation, right? You're, you're obviously preparing for something. Did you have an idea of what that preparation was? Even Let's even just go back to college, right? Where you're, where everybody at that age is like, I'm gonna do this thing, I'm, I'm right? gonna be an architect and then I'm gonna be a sure. congressional leader. Then I'm gonna be a graphic designer and the list goes on. But um, I think it started very early on. I was born and raised in Flint. Mm -hmm born and raised in the northeast corner of the city of Flint. Um, it's cold for a lot of things. It's cold for being black. It's cold for being poor. It's cold for seeing the violence of Flint streets outside your bedroom window and out on the six o'clock news. Um, it's the place where you know those perpetrators of crimes. You know those folks that are victims of violent crimes. You understand that intimately on both sides of the coin. Um, that's where I'm from. And while growing up in that environment, I have to give huge shout outs to um, Tanya Gallimore, Tanya, formerly Tanya Oliver, my mom single mom she put blinders on me and allowed me to dream in ways that other folks from my community just couldn't right they had to live in the realities of what was happening around them and my mom protected me from that quite a bit she worked 20 hours a week at uh, kfc in between that she was spending time with her son and making sure she was raising me but allowing me to be a kid allowing me to play with blocks or do sketches and figure out what it might mean to go to school for an extra eight years to be an architect right um and so I went away to CMU, Central Michigan University, my alma mater. I love that place. I learned so much about me. I was questioning my, in my assumptions about the world around me. I left from a community that was predominantly black to going to a predominantly white institution. Right. And, and that was a bit of a culture shock for me. And I think that, again, was another of those moments. So one part of the prep was around my mom putting blinders on me and allowing me to work through elementary, middle, and high school, and then getting away to college where she wasn't there anymore. And I was able to see the world for what it was. And I was able to see what inequitable systems look like. And I was able to see what it meant to be in a system that wasn't made for you, but you were intended to make it in. And I met some of my closest friends. I did some of the craziest things. Um, I learned more about who I was and what I stood for during my four and a half, no judgment, years Not at here. CMU. Um, and then I realized all of those things that I didn't think uh, represented the equality or equity or diversity or inclusion that was necessary to make a community right, those things that I learned at CMU, um, I learned that the community that I loved, that my mom had put blinders on me to believe was the most amazing place in the world, had some of those same issues. And so when I came back to Flint with my degree in graphic design, thinking that I was going to work at a place like an MLive at sure. the time, Flint Journal, yep. and I was going to um, manage... Um, a design department, um, I realized that there was maybe something more that I learned over that last four and a half years that was going to carry me to do things beyond just that technical skill that I developed in college. And I started to teach um, GED courses at Mott Community College. And I began to meet people from our community that maybe didn't graduate or they're 16 years old and wasn't sure that graduation was going to happen on time or they yep. were 70 years old and they got off track and they worked for 40 years at General Motors and they were going back to accomplish this for themselves and their family. And I was like, man, our community has a deep history and it's rich. And there are tons of people who want to make community a better place. They're not always happy, but they all have a sense of purpose. And how do I really live a life where I'm helping people to fulfill that sense of purpose? And that's been my pathway since, since then. Long story short, I'm here working at the Community Foundation and the group that's here is doing amazing work. 
did amazing work long before I got here. And my goal is to really live into the potential that we have for moving forward. And so that, that leads me to a couple of jump off questions. Um, the first of which is to go back to your mother. And I want to talk a little bit about how important creativity and dreaming and visioning is at that age to create a human that, that can kind of see that, right? Because one of the things that happens when you're in fight or flight or stress all the time is that that's the first thing that goes, right? The dreaming and the creativity is the first thing that goes, which, you know, I want to get your thoughts on just how important that is when you're bringing someone into the world to make sure that they have that space to kind of see the world in a different light. You know, I can only talk about my personal experience totally. and my personal experience is that not having to wrestle with the realities of the world that was happening around me allowed me to space to think about what it might mean if we changed the way the world operated, what it might mean if people were nice every day and we improved civility in our communities and we knew how to benefit from from mutually beneficial relationships or relationships where we were pushing one another to be better. I was able to live in that world where relationships were key and money wasn't an issue because I didn't know what it meant to have a whole lot of money. Our family just didn't. And sure. so relationships were the top priority. And to live in a world where relationships are the top priority and I have the ability to dream of what being in the right relationships can bring for not only me and my family, but for my community, it was a really amazing sounding board. And it became one of those core values that I don't get away from. Um, for me, resources at your disposal to make things better is important but the right people at the right time in the right place really can be the magic that makes communities better places. And so about a week and a half ago on Martin Luther King Day, you wrote this piece on Medium that was shared in multiple places. And you're now a father of two children um, that are about seven years apart. And you had this really astute moment in this piece where your two-year-old loves everybody, sees everybody as equal and wants to kind of be a part of the world and your now nine-year-old is starting to see the inequality and the strife and the stress in the world. As a father, how do, you, how do you manage those two, right? Because one is full of joy and thinks everything is amazing, and the other's like, yeah, I mean, things are good, but there's also this other stuff that I, I see my father working on and I experience myself and wanna maybe change. Oh my God, so my kids are the smartest people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and after about five whys, I realized that I'm not the smartest person in the car at any time. Uh, but this, the, the story was more about, so I have four kids, three girls, one boy. Um, my oldest is a nine-year-old who sees the world in a way that, um, she actually sees the realities of the world in different ways than I did when I was her age. My mom really put blinders on me that I have not appropriately put on my nine-year-old. I don't know if it's because I don't feel like it's necessary um, or because I want her to see some of those things that I maybe got a glimpse of. So I think I probably did get a glimpse of some things because of the reality of the world I lived in. Sure. And I don't want my nine-year-old living in the world that she lives in now. A very different, my, my wife and I create a very different environment for my kids than the one I grew up in. And so I think there are some things that I want her to be exposed to. Um, but then my eight-month-old son is the other end of that spectrum who sees the world. He smiles. It doesn't matter who he's looking at. You can be the meanest person in the world or the nicest person in the world. He's completely innocent and oblivious to any of the issues that exist in the world. And if you look well and you smell well, his arms are open and he's jumping in your hands. And that's the world that I want sure, kids yeah. to be able to live in. But I'm struggling between that world of my eight-month-old son and my nine-year-old who knows that issues exist, who can read just well enough to read an MLK speech. 
and understands that, okay, back in the 60s, this was the reality and not a whole lot has changed since then for people who look like her. Um, and then I have two other kids in between. There are a two-year-old and a six-year-old that are on the spectrum. So I get to see the spectrum from completely naive to consciously understanding that there's something that needs to be addressed. And what do I do for my kids along that spectrum as that my cohort of kids, because I think we're done, this cohort of kids <laughs> continue to grow. You think what does it done, look right? like when I've got this range of kids that understand the issues in community and maybe will grow to understand their responsibility for being centered and addressing those things and the kids that are still seeing the world for what it can be, what it should be. Um, that was what the story is about. And just imagining a world where my nine-year-old knows that exists, but she understands that we're actually moving backwards. We're moving back to the place that my eight-month-old sees the world as. Do you, do you have any insights uh, as you're going through that journey as perhaps how we think about that, right? I mean, the, the piece is very thoughtful, and I'll attach it to this podcast so people can read it, but I, I wonder if you've had any time to kind of think, well, here's some of the stuff that the Community Foundation has done to sort of push us back to this everybody is good, I want to everybody to be coming together and, and be better. So we've taken a look at what it means to be in relationship through some work we describe as the truth, racial healing and transformation work. And it's really about taking people through debiasing experiences where they engage with one another and they understand at the root what a, who a person is and what they're bringing to the table. So talk to me about that, right? Okay. Like how, what is an unbiased experience like? Because it's, I think just for context, like I think we would both agree that's one of the core issues in the entire country is that we walk into these relationships uh -huh. with a bias and therefore it's harder to turn that part off to come to some understanding and some sort of common ground. So I think part of it is, is very interesting. So we do a lot of work across the spectrum where you have individuals who are deeply rooted in community and not connected to the systems in place that are meant to protect you or support you or fill gaps for you. And then we have folks that actually live in a world where they support those things financially. They have the resources to be above and beyond what is um, the interventions that we provide here. And we have a responsibility in between those high net worth individuals that have a different view of community and those who are impacted most by the interventions that we fund. Sure. While we can take dollars from this pot and put it over here and fill gaps. I think we also have a responsibility for bridging the relationships. And there's some debiasing that has to happen there. Understanding that we all come to stories or come to situations or conversations with explicit and implicit bias. Um, there is a process by which I let you know that as a dad, whether you have a whole lot of money, you don't, you love your kids and you want them to have a good education, and you want them to understand the world around them, and you want them to be better people centered and understand their commitment to community and what it might mean to make it better. If we can get to that place in conversation, that's a place to build on. So now I'm not thinking about D or R, um, or in the middle, right? Or sure. green, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking about our commonality. We both have kids. We both have a community we care about. There was a time in this community, we have a Capitol Theater, the Capitol Theater Project closed out last year, and at a new theater, but years ago, that was the place where no matter where you for, were from in this community, you went down and you watched this big screen TV together all day long. And that was the place where it didn't matter where you were from, you might be sitting across from a person who had a whole lot of resources, a person who did not, and you all had this experience with one another. And th throughout the day, if you know how theaters like that were set up, throughout the day, you may have a break or you have lunch or you have a snack, you have conversations with folks. And so now when you start talking about investing in a different community, there's this common ground, this 
this um, deepening relationships within and across cultures that's naturally happening because we didn't have a TV in everyone's living room. Right. Or I couldn't go and I tell my staff all the time, there are people on my staff that can go to their garage, get in their car, roll up their window, drive into work, listen to the music they want to listen to, park in a gated parking lot behind the building, walk in about a few hundred feet, come up the elevator, do their work, do the same process going out and never have to engage with anyone outside of the people they want to talk to. That isn't the world of the past because we didn't have the technology that we had to have everything we needed in our homes or in our cars or in our office spaces. Sure. And so it forced us to deepen relationships across. And so the debiasing experiences that we're trying to create is pulling people outside of those spaces that are comfortable and asking them to be uncomfortable in times where we can actually, I mean, in a ways that we can actually get to know one another in better ways and understand our commonality, our common human value, and really eliminate what we describe as the hierarchy of human value. We're all people, we all bring something to the table. It might be different, but it's needed in order to make community a better place. That's awesome. And so for people who may not have spent a lot of time in the city of Flint or only have a particular perception, right, given the last five or six years, can you, can you talk about some of the amazing work that the Community Foundation has done, you know, especially since the last three or four years that you've been here? Oh, my God. So when I came into the Community Foundation, I knew just a tiny bit about philanthropy and what philanthropy's role was overall in making communities better. So let me pause you. Like, what was the process to come to the Community Foundation? Let's, ah, let's do that. So I was crazy. So I was doing some work. I was working at Mott Community College the most amazing employer that's not the community foundation in this town. I to say <laughs> uh, no, I was working at Mott Community College in the Office of Workforce Development. So really correct, connecting people with opportunities um, to make their lives better, improve their own quality of life, whether that be educational opportunities or work-based opportunities. And, um, and I was also serving at the time on the Hurley Hospital Board of Directors and I was vice, no, I was chair or president of the local school board. And so I had my fingers in a little bit of the community health pod. I was in the community education space, sure. where I work, and then I was in the K-12 education and public service space. And we were doing some work around literacy. And the community foundation at the same time was doing some work around a strategic plan was gonna double down on literacy and improving literacy rates across the county. And they were hiring a vice president of community impact, which was the community leadership work, the grant making and the scholarship work. And I was encouraged by a mentor um, to apply for the job, although I had limited experience in philanthropy and ex actually had limited executive experience at the same time. I kind of knew some folks around town. I was a relationship builder. Obviously, we talked about this earlier. That sure. was one of my core values and probably my, my greatest strength is that I would develop relationships with folks. And that led me into the seat. And then there was this... <laughs> push to not be the weakest VP in this spot. And so I went, <laughs> I went really, really hard. I mean, at the time that I came on, the vice president of development and the vice president of uh, finance and administration were just amazing. I mean, they were a cut above any people in the role across the country, in my opinion. And it put a lot of pressure on me to try to deliver on being a good VP of programs. And I leaned to my strength. My strength was that I knew Flint and Genesee County. I knew this community and I could go into any church or liquor store on the north side of town and I felt really comfortable going into our affluent communities and talking about the gaps that existed. And so that has led, I mean, that led me through working on, we did some literacy work and we did a lot of work on improving literacy rates across this community. And right now, if you ask someone what's important to folks in Genesee County, what's a gap important to address? Five years ago, this wouldn't have been the conversation, but today, if you ask anyone, they're gonna say, we're focused on improving literacy rates for our community. Um, the 
60 percent by 2030 we're in we're talking about how we do that how do we advocate for our kids to have the best k-12 education and supports inside and after school those are things that we're focused on two generation approaches to family literacy if you ask people in our schools this is what we're focusing on in genesee county and part of a collective action approach to this work the community foundation has been an anchor in doing that and that's one thing that we've done the other is a focus on flint neighborhoods Lots of, lots of investments from the CS Mott Foundation or the Land Bank or the city of Flint in making sure that we restore Flint neighborhoods with the Community Foundation over the last 28 years and more focused in the last five years has been talking about what we do to make sure that every resident has the, the tools they need to make the community they love, that they live in, that they care about a better place to live in, to work in, to contribute to. And that has been a second focus. And I would say the last focus over the last five years has been about access to healthy foods. You've probably heard plenty about Flint having food deserts on our far northeast yep. and northwest side of town. Um, our south side of town has not exactly um, had access to healthy foods or grocery stores that provide healthy foods. And we've been doing a lot about creating this farm to fork kind of approach to providing access to healthy food so yeah. whether it be talking about investing in new grocery stores or thinking about how we get farmers and producers to get their foods to hospitals and restaurants in the downtown area that's been our focus and so we've seen some great things happen in this space but we've also realized that we need to use equity as a tool for making that better like who are the least among us who has the least access and how do we focus our efforts on closing the gap there that way we really can see population level data change and program level data change. And so that's been our work over the last five years or so, and we're living into it now. And so how do you, how do you feel like it's coming along, right? Because you, you still in the, in the mainstream press, in the nationwide press, the story about Flint is still pretty similar to what it was when the you know, water crisis kind of was born out. But as somebody who, is, who comes here often, I know that not to be the case. And so boots on the ground sort of perspective. What is Flint like in 2020 and what will it be like in 2030? We've got a lot of work to do and not unlike any other community across the country. It's hard to spend time taking your head up and really taking a step <laughs> back and looking at your accomplishments or, or resting on your laurels, right? It's just, it's not something that we're known to do. We're, we're a bootstrap city. We pull ourselves together. Um, we reserve the right to question everything whether it be systems meant to protect us or individuals coming in to support us. Um, and we rally around one another. You'll see us bicker and fight within, but I think the reality is it's because everyone in this town wants to see it become a better place. And we don't exactly want to see it become what it was because the days of 80,000 good paying auto related jobs and connected manufacturing, I mean, that is, is our past and our future is really how do we make sure that every folk, every person in Flint has the tools they need to contribute their best to making this a great town? And that's our new approach to the work. And I think in, in you said 10 years, 2020 to 2030, in 10 years, more folks in this town will have the tools that they need to make it a better place. And we'll start living into being the place that we, the place of our dreams. And I'm hoping that we will become a model city for what it means when you invest in the people in your town to actually give their best or be their best self in contributing to making community a better place. And so Isaiah, you've you've talked for probably 20 or 30 minutes about all of the amazing work that this foundation It's been does. 20 or 30 minutes already? Yes. Man. Yes. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about you for a second. You have four kids, a wife. 
you know, a beautiful family. How do you, how do you manage the clock? What is, what is your day to day like to make sure that you're kind of filling all those buckets, right? Cause it's one thing to pour into your city, but at the same time, you've got a, a family to pour into. So what does that, that push and pull look like for you? You know, that that's probably the toughest question. That, that doesn't I'm, count as a gotcha question, right? It, it doesn't count as okay. a gotcha question, but I'll be honest. Um, if I, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say um, the events of this last weekend didn't hit me in a very different way sure. than maybe it hit others. Um, I travel quite a bit, whether we're raising money or being involved in the national landscape for philanthropy and what it means for philanthropy to rise and do better and what gaps we should be filling. And I take for granted quite a bit. I've, ta- I've taken for granted far more than I wish I had the idea of coming home. It's just like you're going to come home. Like, I'm going to go away. I'll be away for three yep. days or four days, and I'm going to be home. I'll be home on Sunday. I'll be home on Sunday at 1130 because it takes an hour and five minutes to get from the airport. And um, the incidents that happened this weekend um, really reminded me that I take that for granted and that being there for my family is extremely important, and I have to be more conscious of being present and being there um, whenever – or whenever I get an award or an opportunity like this one where I get to talk about what it meant to come from where I came from to being in the space that I am in the blessing of being the space that I'm in um, it reminds me of a mentor who told me so life is usually in four quadrants and in those four quadrants you try to keep some balance whether it be 25 percent or a quarter or whatever and one and it's almost like the button if you've seen the button it's like part of it's about community and there's a part about your professional growth or your career there's a piece for family and then there's a piece for you. And if you're like me, there's this rubber button, I mean, this rubber band of fate that kind of keeps that stuff sure. together. Yep. And when it gets out of balance, sometimes I'm here for 60, 70 hours in a week because it's just that kind of week. And it's out of balance. And I squeeze out Isaiah and time for myself. And I squeeze out time for community a little bit. And I squeeze out time for my family. And I'm really focused on work. And there are times where I go away for a week and I spend time with my family and I try to shut off my phone to the extent that you can do that and I get time for family. Um, When this happens and I talk a lot about what's happening in community and what our collective as an organization, our collective efforts have been or concentrated efforts have been on making community better and then my personal contribution to that, it just reminds me that the folks who get the least of me, probably the angriest Isaiah, the most irritated Isaiah, um, it's my family. Right. And so uh, it's a bit of guilt that comes up, I mean, comes over you when you think about you, you're giving your best self every day and community may be getting better between 2020 and 2030. And um, those folks who, who get the least or the worst parts of you are your family. And that's just, it's a guilty feeling and you gotta figure out how to figure out that balance and I haven't figured it out. Um, I haven't figured out how to balance life and family and taking care of myself and but it's because I'm so driven to see this community and urban centers at that be better places for folks. Um, my family is blessed and they're really blessed because of that intersection that we talked about earlier, preparation, meeting opportunity and that magic that happens at the intersection. My family has been best financially because of that. We've been blessed to see a better Flint because I think that we have made some sacrifices as a family and I've made some contributions as a professional to make Flint a better place. But um, it, that's a hard question to answer, and I hope I probably just rambled through a large part. No, of it, I, I, but think, I hope I that think, I. <laughs> no, I think it's important because I, I, when when you meet or have an opportunity to talk to 
influential humans who shove four hours of work into 60 minutes, right? That, that's the natural question. It's like, well, how do they keep it all balanced? And, and your honesty, I think, is, is amazing that you'll, you'll answer it that, right? Because typically it's like, I got it all under control, right? I've got my life broken up into 15-minute <laughs> segments and everybody gets 15 minutes and we're done. When that, to your point, that's not really how it works because the, the Community Foundation might need you and then your family might need you. And it's, like, it's more like an ebb and flow than it is here's the Excel spreadsheet of my time in a day and how I break it up. Yeah, and I've just heard the stories of folks who have given their all to work and their regrets at the very end of it is that, listen, I missed the basketball games. Mm-hmm. Or I miss um, uh, a recital. Well, I'm probably not going to miss a recital. My wife wouldn't have that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I might miss picking up from tap dance or I might, my girls are in karate and basketball, they're doing dance, they're doing, I mean, gymnastics, they're doing all kinds of things. And my wife is like the anchor. She's making all of that stuff happen while I'm tending to what I would say is more community and work related balance here. And so there's a bit of guilt that I'm not there all the time, but I try to make sure that when I'm around, I'm there. The best time in your life, like the best maybe three or four seconds of your life is walking through the door and daddy's home. Yep. And uh, it kind of keeps you going. It gives you the drive that you need to continue doing the work because coming home and opening the door, putting the key in, opening the door and daddy's home and the running feet and all the happy enjoy, happiness and joy that's at my house is worth it. But it also makes you not want to leave in the morning. <laughs> for sure, for sure. One last question and then I'll let you get on with your day. I want to take and zoom out a little bit, right? Because we're living in a country that's polarized about literally everything, right? From the obvious things that we could talk for hours and hours about all the way down to, you know, chocolate milk versus vanilla milk, right? Like whatever thing we want to argue about, we argue about and social media sort of in a way amplifies that, right? But in your experience here at the Community Foundation, if somebody gets an opportunity to listen to this podcast and you could give them two pieces of advice about how you build your own community, what would those two things be, right? Because that's, as we go through this election year, I feel like we need more people to understand how to come to a middle than push to an extreme. And I would wonder your insights on, if you could have just two pieces of advice of like how you build a community, even if it's in your neighborhood, right? Um, One, I've just learned that no one person or individual group can change community and make it a better place. We really need one another in ways that we don't understand it. And being a person who, again, if I go back to the earlier part of this interview, understanding that financial resources are important, the relationship that you build and the way that we build them could change the way that we interact and the way that we, um, the way that we impact our community overall. We need one another. I guess if I had a second piece of advice outside of the fact that relationships matter and they're probably the cornerstone of making communities better places, um, it's all about how much you care. I mean, sometimes you just got to ask yourself, does this community have the will to make it a better place? Um, I always ask people this question. I've asked my staff this several times. What are we willing to compromise about who we are today to get to where we're trying to go tomorrow? Because if we truly believe being who we are I mean, I'll ask another question. The other one's like, how many people want to change? Not a lot of people want, want right. to raise their hand. Yes. But if you say, how many people want change? And everyone raises their hand. You got to figure out what you're willing to change about who you are and what you bring to the table um, in order to get where you're trying to go. And so if we can ask ourselves that question 
and then realize that we need one another in order to get there, I think that's probably the start to the change that we want to see in our communities. That's awesome. Isaiah, thank you for the time. If people want to reach out and find more out about the Community Foundation, how can they do that? Oh, man, our website, www.cfgf.org. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.